Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. service and it's getting dark man I'm telling you what it's getting harder and harder to get to church and uh, just to get out of my bed right now but uh, you guys feel me on that one so uh, it is it's just officially fall I mean let's just kind of embrace the reality uh, that it is here and seasons are changing Uh, for us as a church this is always an exciting season a lot's going on a lot of change a lot of people kind of start wandering back into church many of you maybe are new to town and we just want to say if you're brand new to ACF church maybe a friend invited you today, that we are honored uh, that you would spend this morning with us. And, and we just want you to know that wherever you're at, whatever your uh, state is, that uh, where, wherever you're at with your faith, that you are free to wrestle with your faith here, that uh, we're a place that we say that you don't have to believe to belong. And so if you're just sort of exploring Jesus, exploring the church, and kind of maybe uh, considering believing, uh, I just believe that you're in the right place here today. And and so last week, we actually had a really exciting week. We called it Rewind. And Rewind, we do every year. We look back on what God has done in our church and through uh, our community over the past year and celebrate that. And this week, we're really looking toward the future, and it's sort of an in-between week. We, we start a brand new series after next week as we kick into our fall kickoff. Really excited about that. But this week, we're kind of in between uh, our previous series as we walked through the book of First John, and then next week is a huge week for us. Uh, once a year, we do something called Impact Eagle River, where we go out into our city. We cancel our normal services, so this is going to be completely different. And instead of uh, just coming to church, we go and we are the church in our community, serving, loving people in the name of Jesus, no strings attached, and I just, here's the the thing, our church will be different after next week, and our city will be different after next week, and the stories that we hear every single year are just amazing, and and you will have conversations around the water cooler at work, or uh, with your friends at the coffee shop, and because people will hear that there was this church that said, uh, we are not here to simply do this religious thing. We're not here to simply sing happy Jesus songs and open the Bible on Sunday morning and let it not impact our lives outside of this building. We are here to be God's church to a city that is desperately in need of grace. And so uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our community. Uh, I, I really would encourage you to be a part of that. And as we step forward as a church into this next year, this is the season where I'm always praying about a vision. 
Like, what is it? We have a vision as a church, but what is God's vision for us as we move into this next year? And, and coming into this last week, I, I didn't really have anything, honestly. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to force it, you know. But at the last minute, I felt like as I sat down and prayed about what we're covering this next year and the new initiatives that are starting in this next year and, and really where we're going in all of our teaching. We've got our, all of our teaching planned out for the next 12 months. And so really excited about that. And as I looked at that, I really feel like we can boil down our vision for the next year into this statement. And so here's, here's what we came up with, is that we are spending the next year taking back our lives by breaking free from cultural norms and practicing God's design for humanity. In 2019, we will exchange cheap and easy for difficult and costly so that we might live profitable lives that honor Jesus and inspire the world. And so as I look at where we're going this next year, these are just, this is just kind of a statement that sums up what we're doing as we start a, a bunch of new things and as we teach through some new topics and we're beginning a new uh, partnership with an organization called Compassion International. Really excited about that. You're going to hear more about that in November. We're going to do some big stuff together uh, with the Alliance, which is the global movement that our church is a part of. Uh, we're also seeing some pieces and parts coming together for a partnership uh, with them. And so really excited for that. But t- this morning, I really want to talk about this this next week, and and I want to show my cards as I start off today, uh, because sometimes I sort of build a theological framework, and then I come out with, so here's the application. I want to give you the application right off the top. So you ready for it? Here it is. I want you to come back and be part of what we're doing next week. That's that's my cards. I'm laying it out. I, I want every single one of you to feel that this is so valuable, what we're doing as a church, that, that you wouldn't miss it for the world. And that you might even cancel the plans that you had for next weekend to make sure that you're here for what we're doing next week. So I'm just laying that out if you're like, he's trying to coerce us. No, I'm trying to help you get out of your own way. I actually want you to be part of something that I believe if you're here today and you're wrestling with church. Maybe you're like, man, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I struggle to even want to be here. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with faith and you struggle to feel like God is even real in your day-to-day life. I just want to propose to you that doing things like what we're doing next week will completely transform the way that you see Jesus. It just will. And the way that you see this community. And so uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, open up our ACF Church app and all the text will be on there as well. Really encourage you to read along with us this morning as we go through this text. Uh, this is, a, this is a, one of my favorite verses or, or sections of verses because it, it's just, uh, it encompasses really what our lives are intended to be. And I've never actually spent a whole morning talking through Romans 12. Uh, so we're going to be in, in verse 1. And in fact, can we all stand up together? in honor of God's word, and I'm going to read this text for us as we start off today. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, 
The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You can be seated. So just to kind of start off our talk here today, I want to start off with this question. Has anybody here ever thought to yourself these three words? I'm so dead. You ever thought like, you ever gone through something, made a decision, uh, made a choice that as you're looking at what happened out of your decision, you're going, I'm dead. I am so dead. And I, this, is a, this is something I used to think a lot as a kid, right? Um, thinking of things that I did that I knew my parents were going to be upset about. I'm so dead. I'm just, you know, waiting for the hammer to come down on me. And some of you maybe live most of your life kind of with these words in your mind. I'm just so dead. Constantly making decisions that you're like, man, I don't know what's going to come of this from the people around me or even, even God himself. Sometimes we make choices that we're like, God, God's going to strike me down, right? And, and so we have this feeling of, of, man, judgment is coming. I think of a really uh, specific time as a kid that, uh, that I, I felt these words. Uh, I, we were living in upstate New York. I was probably eight years old. And it's funny, these memories that stick in your head. Um, but I, I, was, I, was, I remember I was in the hallway, and uh, I was hanging. Actually, there was a bathroom that led into the hallway. So I'm like hanging on the towel rack to the bathroom and the doorknob, which is every dad's favorite thing, right, when you do that. So I'm like hanging on these things, swinging back and forth. I don't know what I thought I was doing, like some kind of Olympian routine or something on these things, but swinging back and forth. And my mom was down the hallway, and my philosophy as a kid was that my mom needed to be there for every need that I ever had, that she was, she was there for me, right? And so when I called to her, she should answer me because I'm, I'm in charge. And so um, as a kid, I remember just like yelling out of the hallway, I needed something, mom, mom, and just yelling mom and getting more and more frustrated that she wasn't answering. She wasn't running to me. Oh yes, Brian, what can I do for you? And so I'm swinging on these two objects, getting more and more upset. And I yelled mom, and I swung my legs forward and I kicked a hole right through the drywall. And I remember I'm standing there as, as this little eight-year-old and my foot is like in the wall and I thought those words, I'm so dead, right? Like this, this is how it ends, right? I mean, I thought it was going to be something so much cooler than this, but this is how I die, is my dad is going to be home in about four hours, and this is it. And so um, I see the hole, there's sheetrock on the floor, you know, my shoes covered in sheetrock. I remember, I, you know, you don't know what to do in those moments. What do I do? I, for, first thing you don't do is go tell mom. I mean, she'll figure it out, right? And so I ran down the hallway, I ran into my bedroom, and all I could think was hide, right? Which is a lot of people's first response in a I'm so dead moment is just, just hide, right? Can I just hope that, you know, that, that I can get the best out of the situation? So I, I went in my closet and I laid down in my closet and I remember hearing my mom and my brother talking and then my brother saying these words, he's so dead, right? That's what every older brother does, you know, celebrating in my misery. And so, you know, like, okay, so I'm, I'm in the room and my mom knows where I'm at and I literally spent the next four hours on the floor there. And as a little kid, I still remember in my mind thinking like, man, you know, what, could I, could I just get out of the house and maybe live alone in the woods? You know, how do I, how do I get through this? And how can I protect myself? You know, my dad's coming home and, and let's, I mean, for me, my dad, he, he knew how to spank. He knew how to lay down into, into, and just discipline his son. And so I knew that was coming. And so 
my dad gets home four hours later. I hear my mom talking to him. I know what's coming. I'm in my room, and I'm just preparing for the worst, right? And he, I, I still to this day, I, I will never forget, as he comes in, he knows what's happened. I've been, I've been there for four hours, and I know as a dad, he thought, you know, he's kind of punished himself enough. And I remember him opening the door, and I'm bracing for impact, right? And my dad looks at me, and he kind of laughs, which is always great when you're freaked out and scared for your life. He laughs at me, and he says, son, you know what you did? Yeah, right? He's like, are you ever going to do it again? No, never, never. I'll never wear shoes in the house again. I'll never call to my mother again. I'll never do anything. And he's just like, let's go get some dinner. I remember he kind of stands me up off the floor, and I'm wiping the tears out of my eyes. And I just, I walked into the hallway, and and, you know, like my parents, I feel like did a great job of disciplining me and, and were really consistent. That if you did something wrong, you knew you were going to get punished. But there was something in that moment that told my dad, my son needs mercy. He just like, he knew it intuitively. Something in him said, you know, I need to be consistent as a dad, but there are moments to just give mercy, aren't there? And I've entitled this morning's message, For Mercy's Sake, because Paul in this chapter is laying down a foundation for what would compel us to live these very countercultural lives. These lives that are dedicated to serving Jesus and serving our neighbors. And he starts off in verse 1 with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. That, that all of what he's going to say is the life that we are to live as believers, if you're a Christian here today, is actually motivated by something. This is not just act different, go do things because God's going to be pleased with you. Go do things as penance for the bad things that you did last night. No, this is in view of the mercy of God, we are to live differently. Now, what is mercy? We've kind of talked about this before, that mercy and grace are two different things. That mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve, and grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Does that make sense? So I deserved punishment. I deserved, you know, to, to feel a little bit of a whooping, but my dad said, hey, this is what you deserve, but I'm gonna actually gonna, gonna hold back in this moment. And, and mercy is a really interesting thing um, as we think about it. it. It really shapes the way that we see the world. And I love that he says, I appeal to you by mercy. This is maybe different from maybe your church experience growing up. He doesn't say, I appeal to you by the judgments of God. I appeal to you by the threats of God. You know? I appeal to you by God's going to strike you down if you don't. None of that. He just says, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to be a living sacrifice. Now, as Paul is writing this to these Jewish Christians in Rome, they would have understood the sacrificial system. This would have made sense to them, the idea of being a sacrifice. And what they knew about sacrifices is that it was always bloody. It was always messy. It always cost you a lot. In fact, anytime there was a sacrifice that God's people would give to God, it was never like the leftovers you know, like you couldn't be like, hey, I'm going to church this morning. You know, I'm going to, you know, throw a little makeup on real quick for you ladies and like throw a little, just throw clothes on, just go to church. It was like, no, we're, we got to sacrifice. We got to go find the best of all of our animals. We're going to bring it. It's going to cost us probably a lot. And this is what a sacrifice was. And so they understood a dead sacrifice. They understood bringing a, a sacrifice to the table that was going to be killed as a way of, of, of kind of uh, killing something as, a, as an appeasement for your sins. And at the same time, Paul says there's a living sacrifice that we are to be. This would have been confusing for them. Like, what, is a, what is a living sacrifice? 
Here's maybe a short definition. I think a living sacrifice is to give up one's selfish desires to show love for God and others. This is what Paul is proposing is that we would actually live sacrificial lives that are motivated by the mercy of God. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Shame and judgment are terrible and temporary motivators for serving the world. You've maybe felt this before in church where it's like, hey, I, I know you've done some bad things in your life and, you, and you'll feel better about yourself if you serve. And Now, I, I think serving people does make you feel better about yourself. I think that's a, that's a great byproduct of serving, but at the same time, that's not why we do it. And we also don't do it because we feel bad about what we've done. We do it because of the mercy of God poured out on us in our lives. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to just be thinking in your life, where have I received mercy? What does mercy look like in my life? Now, now Paul, he starts off with the word therefore, which the classic church statement is we always need to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So we look back and we say Paul has made a case even before this for where he's going. At Romans 6.20, he says this. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In, In other words, you operated in sinfulness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So Paul says, hey, do you know who you are and where you've been? Have you thought very long about what you've come through and what you've been rescued out of? He says, you were operating in sin, and did you see the fruit that came from living that life, that selfish, sinful life? And I think we all, everybody in this room, let me just kind of get a show of hands. Can anybody think back to a portion of their life where they felt ashamed of what they'd done? Can anybody say this? Okay, so look around, look around. So this isn't a bunch of squeaky clean church people that never did anything wrong. So just be, if you're here and you're just like, I got a story, well, so does the person next to you. So we all have stories of things that we've done. And Paul, Paul's like, hey, do you remember the fruit that came out of that tree that you planted in your life? It's like, yeah, that fruit was shame. And not feeling good about myself and probably it hurt people in my life. Uh, I'm probably still dealing with some of the, um, the repercussions of the decisions I've made. But he says the wages of sin, in other words, what you have deserved for your life is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love this. Paul is giving us an understanding of what grace is. So what we've earned because of who we are, all of us in this room, in our rebellion against God and the things that we've thought, done, and said that don't honor him and honor others, what we've earned, what we've deserved is death. So God gives us mercy. He doesn't give us death. And what's interesting is most religions understand this. You know, most, most religions that you've studied understand the idea of mercy, that maybe sometimes this God that wants to destroy you would, would you know, hold back and not destroy you. But what many religions, I, I believe, is, don't understand, what Christianity is so different than any other belief is that we have a God of grace, who doesn't only withhold uh, this, this punishment that we would deserve, but he actually gives us life and life to the full, eternal life living with Jesus. And I love that. Now I'd say, in this room, let's continue on. Verse 22, actually. Here, let's keep going here. It says this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's to be made holy. And its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. You guys might know this, this verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. We've earned death, but God has given us 
life. Now, I want to talk about a couple postures that you might have in the room here today. And the first posture might be this, is that I deserve so much more than I get. Like, I deserve better than what I get. And this is a really common posture in our world. I think many of us trend towards this. Unchecked, our hearts will start to feel like we are entitled to so much more in this life. That I should have a bigger house than I do. You know, I should have uh, more respect from people around me than I do. I should have more money than I do, you know? And, and this can, can cause this real dissatisfaction in our lives. And coming into the holiday season and the shopping season, we just see this get on overdrive, right? This feeling of, I need more. And I love the statistics coming into the holidays that most people buy more presents for themselves than they do for other people. Because we just, we always need more. We, d- we feel like we deserve more. And so we rack up, you know, a lifetime worth of debt so that we can feel like we've got what we deserve. And it can really blow your life apart. It can blow your relationships apart too, right? If you have this perspective, I deserve so much more than I get, you know? Uh, Maybe you're a man in the room and you've been married for 15 years, right? And you're like, she don't look like she did when I married her. (laughs) Neither do you, right? Neither do you, right? I mean, like, we we just, we age. And you're like, no, bro, I'm holding a six-pack, right? And she's like, you need to learn how to hold a conversation, you know? And, and, and so you have this, this feeling that, like, maybe I'm better than I am. And look at me, and I'm checking myself out in the mirror. But, but really, like, this can derail a, a relationship because what you start doing is maybe looking for what you feel like you deserve in someone else, Right? You see that girl at the gym or, you know, that that old friend or somebody at work that just, man, all they see is the best in you and they just compliment you and you're like, why don't I get this at home, right? Because she sees the real you, right? And that's just the reality. And so we deal with this as men. Women deal with this just as well. You might have this feeling of like, I deserve so much more than I get. And so somebody has hit you up on Facebook from high school, you know, and, and this new relationship has, has kind of formed from this old connection that you used to have or, or whatever it may be, you know, and you're like, man, this guy's always around and your husband, he's working his butt off, right? He's not home because he's putting in his time and he thinks he's serving his family and you're over here going, man, I just deserve him to be around more and you can lose perspective on the, the relationship. And I know these, these issues run deep. But this perspective of I deserve so much more than I can get to, can really lead to a lot of dis- dissatisfaction in life. It's not how we were meant to see the world. In the church, this leads to really unhealthy church people. Like if you've ever been in an unhealthy church community, it's because it's full of people that think I deserve so much more than I can get, right? I show up late, I leave early, I take the front parking spot, I let everybody else serve me. I act like the king, instead of becoming a servant like Jesus. I deserve so much more than I get. Here's where this this comes from, I feel like. I feel like there's a pride in this. And I feel like this pride comes from an inflated sense of self-worth apart from the mercy of God. I think if this is you today, that you've lost sight of the mercy of God. In view of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, we will live different. And so you can always tell when somebody is living this lifestyle that they've lost sight of the mercy of God. Maybe they knew it at one point. Maybe there was a day that, you know, man, it was really clear in their life and they knew that they needed this relationship with Jesus. And so they, you know, decided to make a decision to start going to church and start following Jesus and and learning the scriptures. And then like they got down the road a ways. And the mercy of God, is it kind of went over the horizon. Have you ever been on a trip where you've just kind of seen something 
and then it's gone by you, and then before you know it, it's gone over the horizon. The mercy of God kind of disappears over the horizon of your life, and before you know it, you're living a, a life that does not look anything like Jesus, because we can't live like Jesus unless we can see the mercy of God. And so, I think it comes from an inflated sense of self-worth apart from the the, the mercy of God in our lives. And so let me just start off with this. For all of us in the room, you and I have nothing to boast in. Apart from the mercy of God, you and I have nothing. We are merely recipients of every good thing in our lives. Even, you know, you you might take credit for certain things that you've kind of cultivated in your life. The ability to think like you do. The intellect that you have the family of origin that you are coming from, even the place that you were born, like you didn't decide any of that. So it's really funny when we as kids, we do this really early on, right? Where we start thinking less of others because they have less than us, right? And so we we dress in nice clothes. For me, when I was a kid, I always wanted my mom to get me the Lucky Brand jeans, right? And the Doc Martens. Anybody wearing Doc Martens here today? I've always loved the Doc Martens. And I like to have really nice shirts. And for me, it was like, it was Stussy and Massimo, right? And I had to have my Stussy shirt and my Massimo shirt. And and then I was cool. And and I remember just looking down on kids that didn't have what I had, as if I did anything to earn what I had. I did nothing. My mommy bought it for me, right? And yet I felt like I was, I kind of had a swagger as I walked through the halls, like, look at me. Look what my mother bought for me. I mean, really, like, what are you bragging about? It's all just a gift. It's all something you've just received. And so, I mean, think of your life, whether you are, you are making lots of money or making not that much money, you know, or, or, you know, whatever it is that your life looks like, it's all been a gift to you. It's all been something that you've received from God. Romans 12, 2 In view of that mercy, he says this, do not be conformed to this world. Or if you grew up in church, you might have learned it like this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, there's a certain way of living that the people around you have just sort of assumed is the normal way of doing things. That there's these patterns that we all have in our lives that can contribute to the results that we have. And for you, you have patterns that are leading to the lifestyle. And so, As you look into this fall, if there's parts of your life that you're not happy with, there might be something that you can do about that. In fact, Paul says, hey, don't conform to the patterns, which is implied that you can actually make a decision about that. If you're here today and you're like, well, Brian, um, you talk about the Bible. I don't know the Bible well. Read the Bible. You can do that. Well, I'm not a reader. You've chosen not to read, right? I'm not a morning person. I can't do a quiet time. You've chosen to stay up till midnight last night watching Stranger Things, right? And so you're up late. You don't wake up early. You've got a pattern in your life that leads you to be undisciplined, which leads you to not do a quiet time, which leads you to not know your Bible. And so at some point, we have to take credit for these things in our lives. I I struggled when I was in junior high school with my weight. I developed like a a weight problem, and I felt really insecure about myself until I got to the point where I was like, I got to do something about this. I started working out, you know, and I mean, up till then, I'd seen, you know, members of my family that had gotten overweight and been like, well, it's just kind of who I am in life. And I get that every one of you has probably what you feel like is a legitimate excuse, but I understand, and I understand circumstances sometimes are handed to us, and we can't choose all of those things. I understand all of that, but Paul is saying that we have a decision to make about the patterns of our life, and you might not have made it a choice about what was handed to you, but you can choose what you do with that thing. You can choose the decisions that you make as you move forward with whatever it is that God has handed to you or someone else has handed to you. 
He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love these two words, renewing and discerning. The idea of renewing is simply to reset your mind, which let me just tell you, I need to do about a thousand times a day. This is kind of like, have you ever just said, I need a minute? Have you just said that? Like, I just need a minute. What that is, is you verbalizing the need to reset, the need to get perspective. And I love that. I mean, this is revolutionary. Paul is teaching us that as you reset your mind throughout the day, what you'll start to do is develop different thinking habits. You'll, you, I mean, this, is, this is way before like the world of neuroplasticity and all of these, like these things that we understand today that you can actually retrain your mind and your mind starts to develop a new way of thinking. Like Paul, 2,000 years ago, is like, I'm way ahead of you. You need throughout the day to rethink the way that you see your life, the way that you see your circumstances, the way that you see God. And this isn't just self-help. This is actually believing what Jesus says about you. And when you choose to believe what Jesus says about you, you start to think differently about your life. So renew your mind. And then he uses this word that you may discern what is the will of God. Well, how are you going to do that? Like, how am I supposed to discern what is the will of God? Well, a few things. You have to be quiet long enough to listen, right? You have to actually slow down and listen to God speak. Ask him to speak. As we said earlier, open the scriptures. The will of God is laid out to us in the scriptures. Uh, people in your life that are maybe farther down the road than you are, you need to buddy up next to them. Get together with them consistently and ask them, hey, do you see what God's will is in my life in this particular area? Some of you are too afraid to ask that question. But sometimes you just need to ask that question and deal with the answer, even if you don't like the answer. And I love this. Many of you are doing this. I think we've got uh, over 43 groups are launching this, this, this fall of people that are getting together in these little smaller Jesus communities. I don't know if that's even a word. Jesus communities where people are just getting together to talk about what God's will is for their lives. How are we going to live this stuff out? I encourage you to be a part of that. So we need to renew and discern Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I love this. Paul, even himself, you think of anybody that should feel a little pride, it should be Paul. This man wrote most of the New Testament, like kind of an awesome dude. And even he says, hey, I'm going to say something to you only by the grace given to me. And I hope you hear that from me here today as well. As I speak to you that you don't feel spoken down to, but you feel challenged that I, I don't feel worthy in any way to speak to you because I know where I've come from. And the mercy of God is in view in my life. And so I don't feel like I deserve to be here. But by the grace given to me, just like Paul says, he wants to challenge us that we would not think more highly than we ought to think about ourselves. That we wouldn't think more highly than we ought to think about ourselves. Now, you've maybe heard humility described this way, that humility is uh, not to think less of yourself, but it's to think of yourself less. Have you heard that before? And I've, even, I've said that, but I, this week I was wrestling with that going, I'm not so sure that's true. I, I think honestly, there are those of us in the room that need to think a little less of ourselves. <laughs> I think there's a time and a place to be like, I think, in fact, clearly Paul says, you, you think pretty highly of yourself. You need to think uh, more realistically about yourself with sober judgment. I love that language, sober judgment. Apparently we're drunk because Paul says we need to sober up. 
Like, Paul's trying to slap us around a little bit. Like, you are drunk on the way that you see yourself. You are drunk on your pride and your sense of self-worth apart from the mercy of God. He's like, sober up, people. Get real. You are not what you think you are apart from Christ. That we shouldn't think more high. I remember as a worship leader, um, Years ago, I was doing the music at, at church, and um, when I first started ministry, I was at this very small uh, church community, and um, it was a very small worship band. There are, I think, six or seven people involved, and, and, and as I took over that ministry, what I realized is that basically anybody who wanted to be in the band was in the band. And uh, if you're a musician, you're just already kind of twitching a little bit, because you're like, not everybody should be in the band, but... It was a little American Idol is what it was. It was. There was a little bit of like, I think that I can do this. And the reality was it was a train wreck every week. It was, it was just, it was bad. And so I, I started doing auditions um, for worship team, which um, I got some pushback, I remember, from some people who were like, why wouldn't you want people to use their gifts? Oh, man. And I'm like, they're not gifted at all. Um, there are certain people that shouldn't be in certain areas and certain people that should be in other areas of ministry. There's certain people that are good at certain things and not good at other things. There are things that I am not good at. I, I am not good at the sports. The sports are not my thing. Um, that has just never been my thing. My brother, he got all the sports genes. I got the music, music genes, the musician genes. And, and I understand, I'm just, I'm not good at There are th- certain things in ministry that I'm just not great at. And as you grow humble, you start to see what your gifts are and what they're not because you begin to be honest. And your identity isn't so wrapped up in what you do that you can actually deal with that reality. And so instead of thinking, I deserve so much more than I get, maybe you'd assume this posture, which is, I get so much more than I deserve. I get so much more than I deserve. This is the way to feed health into your relationships. Think of this. What if in your marriage you both just looked at each other and was like, I married up. I get so much more than I deserve. What if when you went to work tomorrow, that job where you're just like, bro, I don't want to go back, and your boss is driving you crazy, whatever it is. You know, what if, what if it's your roommate, or what if, whatever your living circumstances are, what if it's your car in the parking lot that you were like working on this morning so you could get to church, and you're just like, this thing is a piece of junk, you know? And, and what if you just walk out and be like, I get so much more than I deserve. You see, that seems nice, but we can't get there unless we are in view of the mercy of God. I mean, you just can't get there. You can be like, oh, just be thankful. I've heard that before, Brian. Just be thankful. Gratitude comes from a clear view of the mercy of God. And when you've lost sight of the mercy of God, what you lose is gratitude in your life. This realization, this, I get so much more than I deserve, what that does in your relationship with God is you start to realize that, that even God, God is for you, but he's not about you. Like he's for you, he loves you, but, but, but he doesn't worship you, we worship him. We get so much more than we deserve. We don't deserve affection from God, he gives it freely because he loves us. It can be the same way for your, you can actually train your children in this. You can train your children in entitlement by making your lives about them. And we've fallen into this trap before. 
Maybe you've done this or you've seen parents do this where their lives are so full, there's no margin. They're going from place to place to place to place. They are obsessed with their children. Their children start to think that the world revolves around them. And let me just, I have learned this, that we're not doing our kids any favors by making our lives about them. We should be for them. We should serve them. We should love them, but we should never be about them. In your relationships, if you're a single person that's dating someone, the best way to derail your relationship is that you would make your life about that person. And we've all seen it before where your best friend starts dating somebody and they disappear for nine months. You're like, I don't know where they went. Well, they became about somebody. And in many cases, it didn't work out. Because we were never meant to be about another person. We were meant to be about our creator. And so this is a different perspective. I get so much more than I deserve. I feel like this as a pastor. I'm here and I'm for you, but I'm not about you. And so what that does is it frees me out to, up to just say what I need to say up here and to just walk off this stage and to just trust that God's going to speak. And when pastors fall apart, it's when they become about people. It's when I start to feel like my life is, is driven by how you feel about me. That's just an unhealthy place to be. And so I'm, I'm for you. I love you. I love you, but you don't determine who I am. And so I get to speak the word of God, serving, loving you, because I get so much more than I deserve. See, God's desire for us to be servants is for our own good and not his. It's for our own good. We're serving, we're loving people, we're doing what we do, not so that we can just, uh, not so that God can feel better about himself, but so that we can actually develop this perspective of our lives this understanding that we are, we are servants to the world because we have received so much from our loving Father. And as you serve, the, the mercy of God starts to come back into view. It's almost like it comes back up over the horizon. When you serve somebody, it, what you're going to start to see is how much you've been given, how loved you are. When you show up at somebody's house and you're just like, man, this is a wreck. These people have less than I do. And you thought that you didn't have much. And you find that somebody else has less than you do. Or, or maybe you change oil for somebody next weekend and, and they show up with a really nice car, but you know that they're dealing with a very difficult situation with a child. You know that they've got, they're either a single parent or they've got a special needs kid that they're, they're, they're dealing with and it takes a lot of extra energy and you're thinking, my kids are healthy. Um, I don't ha- I've never had to think about that. My marriage is pretty good. You start to realize the mercy of God on your life and you start to develop Gratitude. Verse 4, he continues on. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So this is how Paul tells us to live out this new perspective, is that we are to live it out together. And if you hear nothing else this morning, just look at me real quick. I want you to know that we need you. Whatever you bring to the table, whatever the gifts are that God has put in you, you have something that God has placed inside of you that you're good at, that I'm not good at. It's just natural for you. You have something that you're natural at. And if you don't know what that is, then you need just somebody to help you draw that out because I, I believe God has placed that in you. And Paul says, when we receive this new way of looking at the world, we will operate as a body together, functioning well. And you know the body has many parts. And we as the church, we're called the body of Christ. And so what that means is when any part is missing, we are handicapped in a way. We, we need you. We need you here with us, serving together, using your gift, whatever it may be. It might just be your presence, that you just show up to stuff. 
You are just ready and willing, whatever it may be, to help get some stuff done. Others of you have these deep other gifts that you've just never allowed to be drawn out in your life. Paul says, we need you. You are part of the body of Christ. And then he closes things out with, I'm going to skip ahead to, to verse 11 as we close this out today. He says this, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So he lays down all of this foundation of the mercy of God that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, that we're all different parts of the body. And he closes out with a command that we should serve God. And we should serve God. And you guys, this is really what we're attempting to do next week is to serve God, is to love God in the way that we serve our community. It's to honor him with the way that we serve our neighbor. And that's really the best way to do this. And so I want to I wanna get, get kind of in your business a little bit. If I can give you some maybe really practical ways that you would demolish your pride this week. If, you, if you're thinking, man, I need to take this seriously. I probably think way too highly of myself. And honestly, the mercy of God seems like it's not even in view today. Then maybe here's a few ways that you might take some really simple, practical uh, steps. And so uh, buckle up a little bit because you might not be ready for some of these. Here's the first one. This is simple. I want you to invite one person to our fall kickoff. This is in two weeks. So again, next Sunday, we're not doing our normal service. So in two weeks, I want you to be willing that there's somebody in your life that God has placed in your midst specifically to uh, speak to, that you might invite them to come join us that, that Sunday and, or, or that Wednesday. And so kill your pride. Whatever it is, whatever fear is inside you, when you start opening up about your faith, there's a part of your pride that dies. And it's a beautiful thing. How about the next thing? This is uncomfortable. Give away more money than you're comfortable with. It's a great way to demolish your pride. If you're here today and you, you feel like, man, you're just clinging on to your finances, you know, for dear life. Maybe because you're just like, I don't have much. And so you hold on all the, all the tighter as if you can control your life. Not realizing that every dollar you have is a gift. And for Amanda and I, this is a lifelong journey of growing in generosity. That we don't ever arrive at like, look at me, I'm generous now. It's a journey of making ourselves uncomfortable for the kingdom of God. And so whatever that looks like for you to go, I'm going to be generous this week. I might meet a need at work. Somebody at work is going to say, man, my, my washer just broke. I don't have money to fix it. You're going to be like, I'm going to buy them a new washer, you know? I'm going to spend some, some cash on that. I'm going to help meet some needs this week. Whatever that looks like for you, be somebody who lets go of your finances. It'll kill your pride. The third one is this, publicly praise a competitor. I don't know who you're up against, this week, if there's somebody in your life that you feel like is an enemy to you or that you're competing with, that you would lift them up, give them uh, some kind of encouragement and do it publicly. And what will happen is it'll start to just dissolve the pride that's in your heart. And the fourth thing is this, that you might try to lift your hands in worship. Here in just a minute, we're going to worship God. And, and one of the things that you'll see in our church occasionally is people will lift their hands in praise. And I don't know what your church background is. Some of you don't come from a church background. Others, others of you, like me, grew up in like a very traditional Baptist background, where if you're moving during church, it's because you're going to the bathroom, not because you're worshiping Jesus. Um, and I don't know where you're at with that, but, but here's what we believe, is that uh, this faith that we have isn't just something we have on the inside. We believe that Jesus wants to change our whole life. And so one of the things that we do as we worship is we just lift our hands. And this is, a, this is an act of surrender, and this is us saying, I'm not going to keep what God has done inside of me. I'm actually going to let it out. 
And so whatever that looks like for you, I just encourage you to try it. And some of you are like, now that you told me to, I will not do it. You need to do it. Oh man, we're so proud. I get it. I get it. But listen, just even if you, it's not about feeling it. It's not about, man, I'm just waiting for that Holy Spirit to make my hands go in the air. No, it's a decision that we make to surrender to God. And so we just choose to do that sometime. And so I'd encourage you at some point just to try that. Try to express what God has done in your heart through the posture of your body. I'd encourage you to do that. And the last one is, it's what you know it is, serve at Impact Eagle River. Just every single one of you, I would encourage you to come back. And I know some of you have already decided not to. Others of you already signed up. And so you're like, I'm on it, which is awesome. But I just want this for you. Understand, like, we can do all of this without any individual one of you. We, we can do this. We can move forward as a church. But you need this. And I need this. And so we've set a goal that we'd have 500 people mobilized in our city. 500 of us. Uh, last year, I think we had a little over 350 uh, engaged. Our church is bigger than ever. We got more people than ever uh, coming to ACF. And so um, it should be easy for us to get 500 people. But I also know that um, that's, a, that's a big decision for some of you. Some of you have uh, other things that are going to draw you away. So what I want you to do is pull that card off your seat real quick. And I'm actually going to give you about 60 seconds right now. And we're just going to, if you're already signed up or if you just don't want anything to do with this, you can just kind of bow your head and pray for a minute. That's, that's fine. But I want to give you a minute uh, to fill that out. I know sometimes in the lobby, it's sort of a, a traffic jam. We don't have a lot of space out there. So we want to just make it easy for you. If you fill this card out, you are involved. We will get you plugged into a project. You'll get a confirmation email and you can show up next week for Impact Eagle River and be a part of this. And so I'd love it if every single one of you signed up for that. You can also go to acfak.org and uh, you can sign up there. There's a link that'll pop up on the screen to the, to the website. And you can pick a project there or if you're like, I don't care where I serve, uh, just plug me in. We're doing an oil change for single parents in the parking lot. We've got projects throughout the city. Um, We're doing a gas buy-down over at the Shell gas station. We're buying down the price of gas by 50 cents a gallon, and uh, it's going to be a traffic jam out there. I guarantee it. Uh, It's just ridiculous. So it's been a few years since we've done that. Really excited about that. Um, But we uh, would love for you to be a part of it. And so um, let's take 60 seconds here. Fill it out if you can, and then I'm going to pray for us as we close. pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy. And God, thank you that you didn't just stop there. That it wasn't enough simply to to withhold what we deserved, which is death. But you actually gave us life and life to the full. 
So God, I pray that you'd stir within us a desire for something so much greater than what we've accepted. And some of the patterns that we've allowed to be in our lives that, that lead to the results, this feeling of emptiness and selfishness, a lack of self-worth. God, I pray we'd get our worth completely from you. That we'd understand who we are apart from the mercy of God. And yet, God, we would also understand our deep intrinsic value because of the mercy of God. And I pray, God, for, all, for our church, and I pray for next weekend, God, that our city would see uh, your body alive. God, we know that the church for many people is a, it's a place of death. It doesn't mean anything to people in our community. We know that when people see church buildings, they think of uh, just these old, outdated buildings and uh, this small gathering of people that are just slowly getting older and slowly dying. And God, I, I just, I pray that they would see in ACF Church a thriving, living community that actually looks like your body in motion. Serving people, loving people without any strings attached. And God, that that would be a representation of your deep love for the world. That it's alive and thriving and that we're to reach out and receive it. So I pray that you would multiply the impact of what we do next weekend, God. I pray for all the conversations that happen around our city um, after that happens. And God, we pray that people will be drawn to you, to your grace and your love. And I pray, God, all that we do would be not because of fear of judgment or because of shame, but we'd be driven by the mercy that you've poured out on us. That be in view of everything that we do this week, God, we'd see your mercy. And that would drive us in the way that we live. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.